So if you take your copy of God's Word and please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll begin our time by, by reading the passage, praying, and then considering what the Lord has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Father, as we come before your word, help us, Lord, to have hearts of humility. God, give us the grace we need to put our faith in Christ, to continue to trust and to rest in the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may the fruit of our time considering your word be a higher love and esteem for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In 2019, the CEO of the major social media platform, Instagram, announced that they were going to be depressurizing their platform. Instagram at the time had a lot of research coming out that made it look bad in the public's eye. That apparently young people, and not just young people, but particularly young people, whenever they post content that doesn't receive a lot of positive interaction, it brings about a lot of negative emotions. And so the research showed that those who are on the app a lot, who are interacting in Instagram, that had been linked to an increased risk of eating disorders and depression, lower self-esteem, appearance anxiety, and body dissatisfaction. So Instagram said that they were going to roll in how people see likes on a certain post. So instead of seeing how your friend has thousands of likes and you only have four likes, they were going to depressurize what you see. I don't mean to completely diss on social media. I think there's some good things that come with it, although I would caution you if you're a parent to maybe have some helpful boundaries with your kids engaging in social media. But I don't actually think that the problem that Instagram had is a problem only for Instagram. This sort of pressure cooker of which we are com 
constantly comparing each other with these doctored up, edited photos and selfies. It's something that we do in life. Social media and Instagram just provides a more easy access for this comparison to exist. In fact, we live in a world in which we are constantly comparing ourselves to the, to the values and to the status symbols that the world says are important. We live in a world in which we say that more or less you are valuable based on how good you look, how popular and how well-known you are, how good you are at things, your net worth. And because of this maybe pressure cooker of a society that we live in, our status, our worth, our, our, our meaning, significance, identity, whatever word you want to use, sometimes we, we believe this lie that who I am is what I have and what I'm good at. And it becomes a problem when we live in a world in which we are keeping up with the Joneses and looking at what those people have and what I don't have. Some of us struggle with this more than others. I mentioned Spider-Man last week, so it's only fair to mention Batman this week. <laughs> but oddly enough, I put on Batman last night to kind of unwind after a long week, obviously with Christian Bale. And there was one part in the movie in which, you know, the, the, the main female protagonist asked Batman, you know, in case you die, tell me your name. And Batman very sternly looks at her and says, it's not who I am underneath, it's what I do that defines me. That maybe is a great summary of how our world understands meaning and significance. I am what I accomplish. Upward mobile security is what I need. But something happens to us when we believe the gospel. Everything changes. We no longer identify with the world's understanding of status, meaning, and significance. The gospel takes the world's values and completely flips them upside down. Paul wants them to know that now that you are in Christ, you no longer have to primarily identify with how the world categorizes you. In fact, in, in this passage that we're considering this morning, Paul, in a way, is reiterating what he's already taught back in chapter 1, if you remember, Paul was talking about how many of these Corinthian believers, what their status in life was like before they became a Christian. Chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. The world didn't think much of you at all. Not many were powerful, not, not many were, were noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame those who are strong. God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast. We struggle with finding our meaning, significance, status, based on what the world says is meaningful. The Corinthian believers were no different. In their Corinthian pagan context, there were some who understood that the status or station they found themselves in life brought a sense 
of shame. And their thought process was, well, now that I'm a Christian, now that I believe the gospel, in order for me to actually please and honor God, I I need to change this low status or these unwanted circumstances in my life if I'm truly going to honor God. And so at the heart of chapter 7, Paul is dealing with people who think that in order to truly be mature, to truly be spiritual, they needed to, as we considered last week, force their spouses into a type of forced celibacy. And Paul says, no. If you are married, enjoy the good gift of sex in your marriage. And some thought, if, I, if I'm really going to be spiritual, I, I need to divorce. I, I need to be single. I would much rather please God being single than being married. And Paul says, no. If you were married before you became a Christian, you should persist in marriage. And so in verses 17 through 24, the passage we just read, Paul, he gives his principle. In fact, he's he's pretty repetitive. He says it three different ways. And here is his principle. Christian, the thing that most identifies you now is not your station in life. It is not your secondary circumstances. The thing that most identifies you now is that you have been called into Christ. No other secondary circumstances or things that we can identify with are what primarily gives you significance. It is the fact that you have received a calling from Christ. And so if you're married, don't worry about being single. You can honor Christ being married. And if you're single, don't worry about getting married. You can honor Christ being single. Paul is trying to get us to understand that the one circumstance that we have of being in Christ is enough. That we can rest in that. But this is easier said than done. How many of us struggle with this type of thinking, the type of thinking that says, if only I had... If only... I had married better, I could be much more pleasing to God. Or if, if maybe I, if only I never even got married, I, do you know how much time I could have for ministry and pleasing God? If only I was a stay-at-home parent, then I could really do what God is calling me to do. Or if, if only I wasn't a stay-at-home parent, then I could really use my gifts and serve God elsewhere. And this line line of thinking even happens with vocational ministry. There are people who think, I can only really please God. I'm going to please God so much more if I become a pastor or a missionary. This job that I have, it's just bogging me down. It's taking me away from actually truly honoring God. And then I talk to some pastors who say, I would be so much more effective in evangelism if I didn't have this title, pastor. And and friends, I want you to know, it has been a historic challenge in the Christian church that there are those who think 
that by pursuing a monastic way of life, of becoming a monk, of getting, getting rid of all the pressures and the stress and the bills of life, if I can just get rid of all of life and just, I did, all I need is a pair of clothes, a toothbrush, and my Bible, and I would just love God fully. A lot of people have tried that for you. And the problem is, is that in both situations, you are there. Took us a second, right? It's it's your own heart that is the problem. And so we, we have this type of thinking. We have this thinking that if I could just change my circumstances, if only I had it a little better, if only I had the high status job, man, if I made more money, then I'd really be pleasing to God. However, the gospel says none of those circumstances change one thing about how the Lord sees you in Christ. So whether you are white or black, abled or disabled, a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, what identifies you most is that you have been called into Christ. And so the, the main point I like to argue for this morning that I think Paul is teaching us here is simply this. That we honor Christ in every condition of life when we learn to be content in the true calling we have in Christ. When we understand that what is most significant about me and what most identifies me is that I am in Christ. It allows us to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. We forget this, friends. We forget it every day. When we live in a world and we look at social media and we begin to compare and we begin to become maybe fatigued and restless, wishing that that things could just be a little better, we, we forget our true calling. And so what Paul does for us is he gives us two reminders to help us to remember how to be content with what we have in Christ. So my points are very simple this morning. First point is this. We need to remember our true calling. We need to remember our true calling. And I just want to highlight this, going through the whole passage, explaining it as we go in verses 17 through 24. And my goal in this first point is is to help you see and understand and hopefully that you would believe that your status in life, your station, wherever you have in the world's eyes, is ultimately meaningless In the eyes of God. Whatever status or circumstance that you find yourself in the world is ultimately meaningless in the eyes of God. Now let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean to say that God doesn't care about your day-to-day task. That he doesn't appreciate the good work that you're doing. But what I am saying is that nothing of your secondary circumstances can do anything to make you have more status before God. Your true calling is not your vocation. And so Paul, he gives this principle three times. He kind of brackets the passage and he throws it in the middle. Let's look at it. Verse 17, he says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. More or less, be content with where the Lord has assigned you. Wherever the Lord 
found you, wherever, wherever you received the call of Christ and believed the gospel, wherever you were, be content. Verse 20, he goes on, he kind of re- reiterates it. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And lastly, in verse 24, he says it again. In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, if you notice, Paul is using this word called a lot. It's littered throughout the whole passage. He says it maybe eight times. Seven of those times refer to the call that we received when we first became Christians. It was the call that when we were hopeless and blind, enslaved by our various passions and sinful desires, the call of the gospel came to us. We call it effectual because it's effective. And when God calls us, we respond. Whenever, wherever and whenever you received that call and you believed in Christ, whatever situation you were in, Paul is saying, you don't need to change. You don't need to think that by doing these extra things that somehow you're going to curry more favor with God. And so what is fundamentally happening is really kind of this works righteousness. God is going to be more pleased with me by having better circumstances. And that's a problem because it takes away from the sufficiency of what Christ has done for us. And so this idea of calling, if you again look at verse 17, Paul says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. Typically when Americans talk about calling, we're referring to that, that ultimate sense of meaning and purpose that we assign to what we do. Maybe you find someone and you meet someone and they say, oh, currently I'm working at this job, but more or less it's just paying the bills. It's not really my life's calling. I'm just kind of getting through, but it's not really what I want to do. It's not the thing that, that's going to give me that ultimate sense of meaning and drive. When Paul talks about calling, that is not what he refers to. Your true calling is not your vocation. Your true calling is that call that you received when you heard and believed the gospel. And so some people have argued from this passage that it kind of seems that Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, none none of your circumstances should change. So if you were single when you were, before you became a Christian and you received that call, stay single. And if you were married when you heard that call, stay married. Don't change anything, don't move, don't change jobs, be content where you are. And there's a lot of commentaries that that seem to make that point and they argue that Paul is maybe thinking more eschatology-wise and that Christ is going to come back soon and so there's no point in changing your circumstances because Christ is is coming. But but really that that view makes no sense for many reasons. First, consider Paul's own testimony. When he was on that horse on the way to Damascus to kill Christians and the Lord came to him and radically saved the Apostle Paul, a lot of things changed about Paul's circumstances. He changed where he moved. He actually started going by Paul and not Saul. He became a missionary. A lot of different things changed in his life. But more than this, we know that Paul is not actually telling people that they can't actually change their circumstances because of the two examples that he gives. Now, these two examples, I just have to say, 
for us modern readers are, are kind of hard to understand. They don't make a lot of sense, but, but let's just try to go through them and understand what Paul is trying to teach us here. So the first example that Paul is teaching is, is with circumcision in verses 18 and 19. And, and so he says, was anyone at the time when they, re, they became a Christian at his call already circumcised? So he's saying, if, if you were a Jewish person, when you first heard the gospel and believed, don't think that you have to become a Gentile now. Don't think that you have to hide those marks of circumcision. And likewise, if, if you were a Gentile and you weren't circumcised when you became a Christian, don't think that you have to now go through this Jewish rite of circumcision in order to please God. Now we know that early Christians really struggled with this idea of circumcision. And we, we could go to Galatians and, in fact, consider what Paul says in Galatians 5 about this issue of circumcision. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Later in, in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, again, it was very tempting for early believers to think that when, when they believe the gospel, I understand that everything has changed, but, but what does that mean externally about my life? And some thought, in order for me to please God, to be really spiritual, I need to do a little extra. And Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter if you are Jewish or you are Gentile, if you are white, if you are black, if you are Republican or if you are Democrat, what matters is what he says here is that you will keep the commandments of God. And so, so Paul is saying circumcision doesn't matter anymore. Th th those ways in which we typically identify and give status to don't mean a thing. What, what matters is your true calling. But second example Paul gives is slavery. And this is the one where maybe we scratch our heads at the most. In verse 21, Paul says, Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now we have to admit for a moment that sadly in our nation's history, this verse that I just read was used to enforce the barbaric practice of chattel slavery in the South. If you're a slave, don't worry about it. Don't, don't be concerned about it. Just, just, just keep being a slave. And, and, you, and it kind of sounds like, it seems like what, that's what Paul is saying, isn't it? Hey, don't worry about it. Being a slave isn't all that bad. D don't concern yourself about it. Well, that's, that's not what Paul is saying at all. Again, you have to imagine there's probably Corinthian believers in this church who were slaves. And, and Paul knew that they probably would be slaves their, their entire lives, that they probably would never get their freedom. And Paul was worried that these slaves somehow would think that in order for me to actually please God, I need to get out of this shameful situation that I'm in. I need to free myself, and then I will truly be spiritually mature. Paul says, listen, guys, don't be concerned about it in the sense that do you think that God would truly be more pleased with you than if you were a freed man? Because if you think that, don't be worried. Don't be concerned. The situation and the status that you find yourself in doesn't matter before God. What matters is your true calling 
in Christ. Now, ironically, the very next words of this passage were also the words that were helped to push along the emancipation movement. Where Paul says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. So, so no, Paul is not saying that if you live in a society where you can change your circumstances, that, that you're wrong for doing so. If you don't make a lot of money and you want to move into an industry that might pay you a little bit more, Paul says avail yourself to the opportunity. If you want to maybe move to a location that has more sun or maybe a lower cost of living, Paul says avail yourself the opportunity. You, you can change your circumstances. What you can't do is think that any circumstance does anything to move the needle of how God sees you in Christ. That, that is what you cannot do. You cannot be overly concerned about your situation because your true calling is that you belong both body and soul to Jesus Christ. There are some of you here today who struggle to think so poorly of your status, of your station in life. Maybe you have a hard time seeing that where the Lord has you is a valid place to live out your true calling in Christ. Maybe you think your job is unimpressive, and when people ask you what you do, you're kind of ashamed to say it. Maybe you, you just feel restless that, that the life you envision hasn't materialized into what you hoped it would be. Maybe you're in a season of just dealing with a lot of anticlimactic feelings. Or maybe you've kind of arrived to what you thought you wanted and now it just seems very drudgery and it feels like a grind. What you need to hear is that worldly status of any kind is ultimately irrelevant to God. Not that God doesn't care, not that God doesn't see you, but your status is not defined how the world defines status. And yet there are some of us here who, need to, who maybe think our status is too important, who put too much stock in our accomplishments and our accolades, and we, we put too much of our identity in what we have achieved. And so whether we have the status symbols of the world or we don't, Paul is saying that, that no person is better off. See, the, the cross, the gospel, in many ways, it is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or educated or uneducated. What matters is that we have a true calling. Our true identity is in Christ. And so again, just to kind of summarize that problem, Paul is saying if you live in a society where you can better yourself, absolutely afford yourself the opportunity to do that. But to those who have been determined by the upward call of Christ, ultimately, I do not put my weight, my worth, my significance into what the world says is good. Can I be honest with you? Sunday afternoons, it's a battle and it's a fight for me to not put my identity and worth into how good of a sermon I preached. It's a struggle to believe this message. That whether I bomb one or I hit a home run, that I'm content in Christ that I can rest that my true calling isn't even that of a pastor, but it's that of one who has been called 
in Christ. And so that's what Paul wants for us. He, he wants us to, to understand that no external circumstance really matters outside of us being in Christ. You can operate and love Christ wherever you are. And that's our next point. Second point is to remember to live out your true calling. First, we need to remember our true calling. Second, we need to live it out. And so after thoroughly explaining to them that no status or circumstance can change how God sees them, Paul says, wherever the Lord has put you, you can honor him there. So again, in verse 17, Paul says, only let each person lead the life. Now the words there are literally walking with him. Let him walk with the Lord in wherever the Lord has assigned you. Now walking is Paul's favorite metaphor for Christian growth. And so again, whatever situation or circumstance you find yourself in, Paul is saying, in that right there, you need to be walking with the Lord. Where wherever you received your call, whether it be a, a carpenter or a painter or, or, or a lawyer or a doctor or, or a parent or whatever have you, wherever you find yourself, walk with the Lord. And that's what he even says in verse 19 when talking about circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, I heard this illustration years ago, and I'm not sure where I heard it, but I, I, I maybe adopted it as my own because I say it a lot. But as Christians, we are very fascinated with what does God want to do with my life? And maybe we ask this question, what is God's will for me? And, you know, especially young people, this is a question we're thinking of. What does the Lord want for us? But as a pastor, people frequently come up to me, what is God's will for my life? And I think they're always a little surprised and shocked when I say, hey, I know what God's will for your life is. They're like, whoa, really? I, absolutely. There's no question in my mind what God's will for you is. Please, by all, I'm all ears. God's will for your life is for you to be holy, for your sanctification. You see, the, the question we often think, the, the question is, is it God's will that I get the blue car or the red car? Should I go to this college or that college? Should, should I move to Idaho? Or should I stay with the sinking ship in Washington? Right? What is God's will for my life? God's will for your life is that you would be holy. Because here's the thing, if you get behind the wheel of the blue car or the red car, or if you go to this college or that college or this state or that state, and you live for yourself, and you are slave to your own passions, what does it matter? What matters is wherever you are, you obey Christ. And so I actually think the Lord gives us a tremendous amount of freedom to make those decisions. Go to that college or that college, be wise Buy this car, buy that car, but ultimately, here's, what, here's what God's will. Obey him. Be holy. And so, whatever job you have, whatever status you have in the world, what matters is not so much the job we have, but how we do the job that we have. So Paul would say in verse 24, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And that, that's it right there. Whether I'm at home or on my commute 
or in the office or on the golf course or whatever have you, I live my life before God. How do we do this? Some of us here, I have to admit, we live in some pretty tough circumstances in life. And it's hard when we have these situations where maybe we're suffering or there's grief or like I said, there's maybe some anticlimactic moments. How how do I live this life in which I can just say, Lord, wherever I am, I'm called to have this contented obedience. It seems to be what Paul is talking about here, a contented obedience in whatever situation or station I find myself in. Because we need to be very clear. When Paul says here what matters is that we obey the commandments of God, what Paul is not saying is that the person who is spiritual is the person who learns to kind of get their life in shape and obey God more. The root of our spiritual life is not in us obeying. It is rather the fruit of us having a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul here, I think, summarizes the whole passage by giving his his theological grounds of how believers can be content and honor the Lord in whatever situation by remembering what he says in verse 23. You were bought with a price. Christian brother or sister, have you forgotten that you are not your own? You do not belong to yourself. A truly spiritual Christian is the person who takes whatever situation they are in and they turn it back to the Lord and say, this life is yours. And whether it be in marriage or singleness, or high status job or low status job, I take this life that you have given me, that you have called me into Christ, and I give it back to you. You see, in chapter 6, Paul used the same expression. In verse 20, chapter 6, he says, for you were bought with a price. And his logical conclusion there was glorify God with your body. Avoid sexual morality because you are not your own. Now, in chapter 7, Paul says you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in every and any situation you are in. That is how we remember to be content that whether or not we, we like the, the circumstances we're in, we can be content because we remember that ultimately our lives before Christ, we were just slaves to sin. You see, I, I think this is the problem sometimes we have as Christians. We, we don't want to hear that we belong to someone. We don't want to hear that we're slaves. But, but let me be very clear. I've said it before here. That it's not whether you are going to be a slave or not. It's that we are all slaves to something. See, before Christ, we are enslaved to our various passions and sins and desires that move us not towards God, but away from God, which lead to condemnation and God's judgment. But here is then the good news of the gospel. That Christ did come, God in the flesh. And he truly lived a spiritual life in which he obeyed his heavenly father in everything. He did not live his life for his own interests, but rather for the interests of others. And he died on the cross to free us, to save us from our sin and the tyranny of the enslaving power of sin, death, and the devil. 
And so if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I pray that today, this morning, today, you would repent from doing life on your own terms and that you would trust in Christ who is the only person that can free you from the enslaving nature of sin that will lead to your damnation. Turn to Christ. Repent from doing things on your own. And for those of us who are are Christians, may we never forget that we are not our own. You are not your own. We obey Christ in every and any situation because we remember we have been bought at a price. So in conclusion, I recognize that it can be hard. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, Aaron, you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. And you're right, I don't. Maybe you find yourself having to take care of a family member or taking care of someone in your family who's disabled. Maybe you don't have a lot of money or maybe you don't have a lot of relationships. Or you're working a job or in an industry or a field that isn't very satisfying or rewarding. But we need to remember that the Lord makes no mistakes in the sovereign and providential care in which he has placed you, in which he has assigned to you. We need to remember that the secret to our contentment is by remembering that my life is not meaningful or significant based on my net worth or what the world thinks is good. My meaning, my status, and my significance are found in one thing and one thing only, Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what worldly status we have, we are no longer defined by the world's way of thinking. It doesn't matter if people like our posts or we get a lot of likes from people. Our lives are not the culmination of the amount of money we make or the nice things we enjoy because the gospel has changed us. Our true calling now defines us most and that is a calling into Christ. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called into a realm of peace and holiness and patience and endurance and we have been called to eternal life. This is our boast. This is our hope. That in Christ, we have found everything that we could hope for and more. High status job, low status job, stay-at-home parent, working parent, being part of the majority culture or the minority culture, in God's eyes, doesn't matter. What matters is that we belong, both body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift of grace. Lord, I pray in those moments where we have that type of thinking where if only a certain thing in our life would change, we would be either happier or could do more for your kingdom. 
Help us, Lord, to be content in those moments. Help us to believe the gospel. Help us to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that in Christ we are loved and known and seen. And we have been called. We have been called into an inheritance that has been kept for us in heaven. And so, Lord, help us to live this contented, obedient life. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church that we would help each other when we are struggling in the, in the mire, in the, in the bog of despond, Lord, when we have those doubts and when we are restless. God, may it be the body of Christ that would come and encourage us to put our rest again in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to this table, may we come with hearts of humility, remembering the good news of what Christ has done for us. We pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.